afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever in the world you may find yourself. Welcome. I'm Nicole Beasy, and you know everything. Today, we are going to be finishing part two. I suppose we'll be starting and finishing part two of The Diamond Cutter, which is the book the Quantum Business Book Club has been diving into. I separated this into two parts because this one was a beefy and some a book that is so funny because all of these books have been absolute favorites of mine. And I've gone back and back to them time and time again. And the Quantum Business Book Club has given me the opportunity to go back, but in a, in a really different manner and really trying to pull out why has this book impacted me? Why is this one of my favorites? Why is this, you know, a book that I've given away more times than I can count? Why is this book continually on my bookshelf? So on and so forth. And as I review these books, I'm reminded how powerful they are. But I'm also intrigued because obviously this book is hitting me in a time and place that I've never been before. And it's inspiring me in ways that are totally new. And that's why I've called this the Quantum Business Book Club, is I feel like by reading, I am time traveling. I'm sharing space with people not in my own physical proximity or perhaps even on this current timeline. And I'm now even experiencing this in my own self. And I'm revisiting when I first read this book or when this book was a real tool for me in a time of strife. And this book, in terms of all of the books that as a part of this series, this first season of the Quantum Business Book Club, but that's the, the nature of quantum physics and quantum mechanics. And there's this ability to both impact and experience something that could potentially be light years away in this instant and immediately. And it's it's a fucking trip when <laughs> you think about it, right? So anywho, there's my little wax lyrical just off the back of seven weeks of solid travel Spent last week in Los Angeles at Vortex Fest with Gala Darling and doing a few pop-up events and speaking, really solidifying partnerships and relationships, especially in terms of Angel Phoenix and our, our ongoing working relationship and Coco D, who is rolling out her wealth mastermind. So you should check her out on I Am Coco D on the Insta. But I, I digress. So developing relationships, really getting to know each other, finding out how we can continue to collaborate. So absolutely stay tuned. We are cooking up some pretty special offerings. The anti-business school is potentially going to be a part of that. I'm also working on the post-grad PhD <laughs> program, really just the, the ongoing evolution of what is the anti-business school, what is the future of business, how to bring technology and futurism into the small business and local economies. I also have some updates in regards to the big development project that I'm working on, the financial consulting firm. So it's all, it's all happening. And I'm currently at my mom's house. So if you hear some noise in the background, it's, it's just simply due to location. And I'm really workshopping now, how can I produce higher quality audio, but whilst also staying very relevant and very timely in terms of my topics and delivery. Now you're completely up to date. So with that, let's get back to the diamond cutter and figure out why this book really impacted me. Last episode, we talked about the correlations. 
what the author believes is the cause and effect connection between our problems and our reality and the way to shift that and change that. So the author, Michael Roach, a master in Buddhism and co-author, Christy McNally. As per usual with the Quantum Business Book Club, I am summarizing, I am interpreting their opinions, their expertise, their, their words. These are not necessarily my opinions. However, I obviously picked these books because I'm in agreement with what they're putting forth. So, you know, always kind of keep that in mind when you're listening back to these episodes. I'm doing my best to summarize and translate my takeaways. These are not my opinions per se, but I definitely am biased towards towards them. So with that, I'm just going to review a little bit about the author. So he studied Buddhism for 17 years. Oh, wait, excuse me. He didn't study Buddhism for 17 years. He was in the diamond business from 1981 to 1998. So he was in the diamond business for 17 years. He had been studying Buddhism and, and, and had received the term, I think it's pronounced Geshe, G-E-S-H-E, which essentially translates to master of Buddhism. And he took his Buddhist training to the Manhattan diamond industry, which wasn't necessarily his choice. My understanding is that his mentor, his sort of teacher and guide, essentially, and, and part of the practice and, and getting to this level in Buddhism is that you study for years and years and years, and then you take those studies into the wild and you implement them. And obviously, it's easy to practice anything in a monastery, like in, in complete isolation, surrounded by a community that completely supports and understands and and innately knows what you're doing. It's it's another thing to take this learning and, and bring it to some place like Manhattan diamond industry, especially when you have no experience in the diamond industry. So Michael was a graduate from Princeton, the first American to complete 20 years of rigorous studies and exam to get the Geishi Master of Buddhist learning and, and study. He took the vows in 1983. And so Again, he was asked to take his learning to a busy American office because that would provide the perfect laboratory for testing. So he started at the bottom. He started as an errand boy at $7 per hour. <laughs> and he, he was very quiet about his Buddhist teachings and also his desire to really bring the Buddhist principles into business to see how effective they might be. And to give you sort of his overarching intention and, and his sort of understanding of how Buddhism could apply to business, it was three very, very simple rules. Firstly, be successful. <laughs> and I love this because I think so often, especially with like Eastern philosophies and teaching, you know, in business, we typically define success as profitability as making money. And for some reason in spiritual communities, especially in the Westernized spiritual communities, Somewhere along the lines, there has, I've certainly been challenged in terms of, you know, is it a white colonialist capitalist purview that business should make money and therefore spiritual businesses should make money or as a spiritual practitioner, you shouldn't be charging money. That is out of, out of alignment. That's unethical. Well, so from this author's perspective, nowhere, nowhere in Buddhism does it say you can't make money. It doesn't even say you can't make money being spiritual or by teaching your spirituality or Buddhism. And in fact, the first rule of business is to be successful, and we define that as making money. Money is a fantastic resource. 
with a lot of resources, you have a lot of agency. You have a lot of power to do good. So it's not about making money. It's about how we make the money. Again, from Michael Roach, the author's perspective, that's where we could potentially be casting. I don't even want to say the word judgment, but like just simply in terms of is this okay or is this not okay? How we make the money, how we continue to make the money, and how we keep a healthy attitude about money, that is very much the foundations of be successful by making money in business. So it's slightly more complicated than turn a profit. (laughs) Like It's not like saying, you know, the ends justify the means and make money at all costs. It's definitely, it's definitely saying, well, and actually we'll get into that because the second principle is, is enjoy the money, meaning be in good health, healthy mind, healthy body. If you are, if you are destroying your health to run a successful, aka profitable business, that defeats the purpose. So in terms of how you make the money, how you continue to make the money, how you keep a healthy attitude about money, obviously enjoying the money, which means you're able to really take advantages of the resource and agency that money provides you, suggests you have a very healthy attitude and a a healthy body, a healthy mind and a healthy body alongside the successful business. And then the third rule means you look back and you can honestly say your work had meaning. That part I also think will, will be a little bit up to your own subjective definition of meaningful and purposeful. But you can see how if you can't enjoy it or if you're not successful, if you're not profiting, if you're not continuing to make money, if you're not ethical about how you make money, I can kind of whatever that means to you. But like you want to you want to feel good about it at the end of the day. And the only way you can feel good about it is if you physically feel good. Mentally, you feel fit and good. And then you can look back and in retrospect, say, I did good. Like to sum it all up as well, the point of, I mean, and he's, he suggests that the entire point of ancient Tibetan wisdom, let alone business, is to enrich, to enrich ourselves and therefore enrich the world. So by being successful, by enjoying the success, and by being able to look back and say, this work had meaning, we are enriching us, our experience, those who engage with us, and therefore the world. And I'm actually going to quote from the book. I'm going to I'm going to do that twice right now at the beginning of this episode and then a little bit like to kind of conclude it because it, again I, this is this is my interpretation but sometimes their words are going to be a hell of a lot more powerful than mine. And it's funny I actually missed this the first few times that I read this book. I I was aware that you know this author picked the diamond industry because they felt like it would be a particular challenge. Typically the diamond industry is incredibly insular, incredibly secretive. It's very nepotistic in the sense that it's it's typically passed down, it's familial, it's generational and it can also be very 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 cultural in the sense that you've got the Russians You've got the Israelites, you've got, you know, South Africans. And for a white New Yorker or New Englander to just come in and and infiltrate was, was pretty unusual. So to quote Michael Roach, this is why the name of the book was the word diamond. Diamonds are perfectly clear, almost invisible, and the hidden potential of everything around us is just as hard to see. They come very close to being something which is absolute, the hardest thing there is. And the hidden potential in things is their pure and absolute truth. Every sliver of diamond that exists anywhere in the universe is exactly the same stuff as every other pure 100% diamond. And it is true of the hidden potential of things too, that every instance of the potential is just as pure, just as absolute a reality as every other instance. 
I missed that. I missed that with, with the idea of the diamond cutter. He wasn't just simply talking about his experience in the industry. And in the book, he continually uses stories from his work and, you know, different challenges he experienced, and especially in, in relating to the correlations. But he kind of, you know, he's always kind of taking it back to his, you know, 20 years-ish in the diamond industry. But it, <laughs> the, where the correlations begin are the hidden potential and the imprint so we're going to get into that. And remember, and I'll continue to kind of go through this in terms of the example of a diamond. And I've talked I've talked about this a lot in all of the other other podcasts that I've done, but potential just like value is perception based. And in order to create any change, in order to create any impact, in order to look at your situation and go, okay, this this is working and all of this is not working. We have to believe there's potential. It is as simple as choosing that belief. So the whole point of this book is not only to kind of do this really interesting intersection of Buddhism and business. Most of what most people, I think, especially me, I mean, I would have said that there's there is no intersection. And in fact, there are opposing forces. That was my lack of understanding, right? So this book proposes to not just overlay the two to highlight the fascinating similarities and the simplicity in using Buddhism as a lens to not just view business, but succeed in business, but to by creating a really simple, really daily method to give your life and your work meaning. And so we're going to go through that in this episode. And I, I loved this. So first, mind bender for you. I think the correlations in the last episode were pretty profound. I didn't go through all 46 of them. I encourage you to do that on your own. But it's wild when we think about our current situation and how that is absolutely based on a series of thoughts, actions, words that happened in the past. And essentially, the only way to change right now is to choose a different thought or a different word or a different action. And by taking each one of those incremental steps, just one different word, one different action, one different thought. We will create a new reality. This is how you create reality. And it doesn't take anything more for a thing to stop as it does to begin. So as an example, your business or your career will end because you got your first job, because you started it. Your life will end because you were born. Meaning comes from knowing this will end. So what are we doing now to ensure it's meaningful? This is meaningful. Everything that's happened up until this point matters and becomes part of a greater story that gives us meaning at its conclusion. Woo! Okay, so let's get into this because <laughs> we're only just getting started. So we know the different economic systems have been more or less successful. Right now, we're kind of debating free market capitalism. We've explored communism. We've explored socialism. And I think a lot of economists would argue we've never really seen any pure economic system succeed or fail because humans kind of get in the way of it. And really, all economic systems come down to how we share and divide resources. So there's this inherent assumption that we are separate, 
We are divided. And from this perspective, from the author's perspective and the diamond cutter's perspective in business, in order to create a meaningful experience that is defined by enabling others to be happy and successful, to do their best. And this is done by being happy and successful and doing your best. When we can start with our own behaviors, thoughts, actions, words, we then can affect others' behaviors, thoughts, action, words. And so by truly questioning your beliefs around separation, around use of resources, around us versus them, you versus me, we kind of start to understand what this book would describe as our imprints, these basic assumptions, and which also influence the potential that we see in things. Now, if you truly believe that the system were rigged, that it were impossible to get what you want, there would be no potential. You wouldn't be listening to this. You would have no desire to grow or change or evolve because you would believe that that was inherently impossible. So there's a kernel there. And I think, I mean, I know I've certainly felt like things were rigged. It was unfair. As a woman, I could dot, dot, dot. Or as a foreigner, I could dot, dot, dot. I wouldn't have the same dot, dot, dot. It's impossible for me to dot, dot, dot. I mean, one of the things I talk about with business owners all damn day is how, you know, in their industry, it's really hard to fill in the blank or they're really bad at selling. So it's hard for them as a business owner to fill in the blank or they never, you know, their parents came from poverty. So they never had a healthy example of utilizing their resources. So they can't dot, dot, dot. Everybody continually tells me how hard it is for them in their own individual, unique experience. And I'll tell you what, my friend, everybody gives me the same excuses. I've said the same excuses. I'm not by no means am I pedestalizing myself here. I'm saying that we're we're all unique in exactly the same ways. And whether you think you're too old or too stupid or you're bad at technology or you don't have the money or... You can't control if people walk into your shop or you're bad at selling, so you can't close. Like, whatever the thing is, if it were real, there would not be examples of success. We all know the the diamond in the rough, the person who was able to, despite all odds and despite all circumstance, succeed. We have the proof. That is not just the potential. That is the evidence that we can create change, we can make our dreams into reality. So with that, it's very challenging to do this completely on our own and set an insular little bubble, right? Insular little bubble. And so what the author says is, first and foremost, really start to gain an understanding of your concept of separation, of how you're working with others. Most people are working with others in order to get what they want. So I work with you to make my life better. I'm not all that concerned with you until you really start to put yourself in other people's shoes. And especially in terms of the people that you're working with to the point where the author would say you were able to switch bodies with them so that you don't only like think you get what motivates them or what makes them happy, but you actually understand what they want from you because you put yourself so firmly and securely into their shoes. You are able to perceive you (laughs) in their eyes. And you are able to feel what they're feeling. And you are able to desire what they are desiring because you are them and they are you. And when you can become one with those around you, you lead from their heart. You start to truly understand the potential and the imprint that you have been operating from and where to from here. Wealth is not the cause of happiness. 
And in fact, we don't know where wealth even came from. We all have our own understanding of what wealth might look like or what we think it would feel like. But according to the author, and I, I mean, I think I got a little bit more into this in the, um, in the, in the first episode of, of The Diamond Cutter, you know, this, this guy is an expert on economics, on international relations. He studied at Princeton. He was awarded by the president of the United States. I mean, he is, he is absolutely on the analytical academic side of economics and also a Buddhist master. So, you know, when, when he kind of suggests that we, we don't know the cause of wealth, it, it resonates with me because I've firstly never really asked that question, well, where does wealth come from and what defines it and where did it start? It's all a matter of perception, right? And so I think for a lot of us, wealth is almost kind of the assumption or the interpretation for success. If someone's wealthy, they're successful. If someone's successful, successful, then they're wealthy. And so we just define business success as wealthy. We define negotiations as, as a win in terms of wealth. And success becomes almost intertwined with this concept of wealthy. But the point is, all of these words are meaningless until we assign them meaning. That is the potential or to be more specific, the hidden potential. Because ultimately, a business is a business. And my perception of it's, if it's successful is going to be different than yours. And in fact, all of these words and all of these concepts are what the author describes as empty, simply meaning they are meaningless. And he describes it almost like watching a movie with no, no, no moving picture. You're just sitting and staring at an empty screen. It's not until you see characters and you look at those characters and you're going to think someone dressed in a certain way or speaking in a certain manner are suggestive of success or wealth or, you know, you, you know who the villain is even without hearing them or you might hear them without seeing them. We've all attributed this potential, okay? This potential is not external, meaning if we all watched the exact same movie, We'll, we'll have different interpretations of it. That doesn't have anything to do with how the person's dressed. So you might see someone in a pair of Doc Martens with black jeans and black eye makeup and tattoos and like black hair and think that's the bad guy. Whereas I might think that's the hero of the movie that uh, I think is hot AF. <laughs> like, and this is, this is kind of what I was talking about before. If it were about the system being rigged or the fact that, you know, the government, the city's doing construction on your street so you can't get anybody into your business or that your team sucks or whatever the thing that you think is so hard for you in your own unique special way. If it were all these external factors, then we wouldn't have any examples of success. But because you can put the exact same situation, so you could open, you know, two electronic shops right next door to each other on the same street give them the $100,000 budget each for marketing, give them salespeople with the exact same skill set, they're going to perform differently. One of them will probably create more success than the other. So it doesn't have anything to do with the resources or the strategies or the physicality or the environment or the timing. Some people are just more successful because they believe they can. When we assume the potential of this will work, you're going to be a thousand times more successful than the person who just simply doesn't choose to believe that. And I forget what the word is. I think it's Korna, but it, it's, it's like essentially self-fulfilling prophecy in, in, in Tibetan Buddhism, but I'll, I'll get into that in a minute. 
to just sort of continue pulling on this thread. Like this is the concept of hidden potential from this author's standpoint. It's not the haves, but the have nots. It's the inherent emptiness of everything. So he uses an example of a root canal. Like is a root canal bad? No, actually a root canal is a necessary procedure and it will create health. And we actually have to have some degree of wealth and privilege in order to be able to get a root canal. And so really everyone could be jumping up and down and cheering like, I get a root canal, I get a root canal. <laughs> but we've chosen to perceive it as bad. Now, is there a right? Is there a wrong? That's the hidden potential. And of course, it's not as easy as being like, I'm going to go sit in a fucking dentist chair for like three to six hours and be in excruciating pain with bright lights shining in me and people prodding at my mouth. And I'm going to choose to see that as good. Like, obviously, no. <laughs> However, the potential is there. And what I reframed it as actually a privilege and actually something that you're choosing to do. No one is like handcuffing you to the dentist's office and telling you you have to get a root canal. And so we look at these different situations where we've cast a judgment on them. And so often we're not even aware of this judgment. But when we're able to just simply empty out the value, so it just feels like an, a clean slate. That's what this author is talking about in terms of the hidden potential, the emptiness. And it's, it's all the same. It's all about perception. And you can use this emptiness, this potential to leverage success in business. Because what you can do is look at any situation with this degree of objectivity and go, okay, if this just is, what have I done up until now to get here? So what do I need to do differently in order to get there? And that's what the correlations are all about. Now, not only is there the hidden potential, but there's also what he describes as the imprint. So this is created, an imprint is created when we do say or think something. And I mean, the author says that like 65 imprints are created per snap. And I think that means per second. But essentially, you know, this is sort of your subconscious reality. If you've ever done a theta session with me, you'll hear me kind of go through. Our subconscious mind is essentially processing about 5 billion data points in any given moment. It's, you know, we're breathing, we're talking, you're listening, you're probably looking around, you might be driving your car, you're, you know, gauging your speed, you're turning on the blinker, you're thinking about when you're going to get to somewhere, you might be thinking like thoughts that are both agreeing with me or arguing with me, you might be wanting to share this with somebody, you might be wanting to take notes, like all of that is almost happening without your awareness. Now, if you think, oh shit, I want to pause this because Nicole BZ is fucking brilliant. <laughs> I want to write down everything she's saying. That's obviously a more conscious thought. Reaching out and pausing is, is a very conscious action. Your conscious mind is able to process about 4,000 data points at any given moment, but it moves at about at nine times the rate of your subconscious mind because your subconscious mind is processing so many different things. It's almost like you know a computer that has 18 different software applications open and 100 apps open on or tabs open on your web browser, like it's going to move at a slower pace than a computer that just has one thing open. But you're, you're, the words that you're typing are going to go slower than the thousands of cookies and pieces of data and CPU processing power that's happening on the computer that has 100 different things open and a million different tabs. So imprints are being created all of the time. And in fact, multi, you know, 65 imprints, according to the author, are being created right now. And so it, by simply just bringing awareness to this and going, okay, well, I'm here and I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling and I'm thinking the way that I'm feeling and I'm going to act in a certain manner based on my thoughts and feelings, that's essentially going to create more imprints. And so by slowing down just enough to recognize this 
thought, action, feeling is based on an assumption. It's typically a value judgment. Is this good or bad? Is this better or worse? Is this right or wrong? If I can remove that, I'm left with the hidden potential, the emptiness of where to from here. And so like, why does this matter? How do we use this? So when something shitty happens, like I was talking about the root canal, it's not as easy as just choosing to see it as good, but it, it could be as simple as just choosing to see it and then recognizing, wow, I have a lot of resentment around this. Why is that? Oh, well, every time I've been to the dentist, it sucks. Okay. Does that mean this has to suck now? What's a different way of approaching this? And so by starting to really look at our imprints and the hidden potential, we grow our integrity. And this is how well we recognize what we're doing. It's an honest assessment about our past actions, thoughts, and words in reference to our current experience so that if we desire change, we start to be able to maneuver very specific variables to create the change that we desire. And so from the diamond cutters perspective, when we can be incredibly clear and honest about our intention, and then we add that to our feelings. And the stronger the emotion, the more we can almost tune into that feeling, the more impactful we're going to be. So your integrity plus your feelings plus your intention. And again, integrity just being your true honesty. Like, I don't want to fucking do this, then don't do it. Rather than like pretending like it's going to be okay or pretending like it's, it's a good thing. So we're being honest, using intention and applying that to the, our emotions. This will give us impact and ownership. So this is how we start to really inform the details around the situation we are engaging in. Notice if it's unpleasant, if it felt bad. How are you reinforcing that? Notice what happens when you shift to thoughts or feelings that give you a different perspective. Like I said, with the root canal, it's actually a place of privilege. I bet there was a time in your life when you couldn't afford dental care, or maybe you resented how much it was costing you to pay your insurance. And now that you've got a $1,200 dental bill, you might feel a little bit better about having paid $600 in dental insurance the last couple of years. So notice our interpretation of the situation, how we are reinforcing that. That's where your imprint comes from. The causality. So not just how have your thoughts, feelings, actions gotten you here? How did you reinforce those patterns? How are they serving you in this moment? Is it working? Like, do you feel like in this instance, you're being as successful as you can be? And then what is the effect you'd like to change? Which kind of goes back to the beginning. What are the assumptions? What is the imprint that you're engaging in? The understanding or influence about this perception? Because once we can see that more clearly, we can ask ourselves, what is the true hidden potential here? And like a work analogy, because I feel like this is a pretty heady concept. So as an example, an employee calls in sick. Okay, you let them off. Then the next weekend, they call in sick again on a Friday. And you're like, huh, you were sick. I know you went to the doctor, you're on antibiotics, and you're sick again on a Friday. And you see on Instagram that they're out and about. And then you get shitty and judgmental and you start watching this employee like a hawk. That's the current situation is you now are distrustful of this particular employee who has essentially lied to you, right? Now let's backtrack it up a little bit. I don't think that sentence made any sense at all. Let's backtrack a little bit because why would this employee lie to you? They don't feel safe 
to take a day off? Why don't they feel safe to take a day off? Well, maybe, maybe you don't take any time off and you brag about how hard you work and how you never take any time off and how, in fact, when you were sick and had the flu, you came in and maybe that's how they got sick. And they went to the doctor and they did the right thing, but then they knew they wanted to take the next Friday off, but they didn't feel like they could because there isn't a culture at your workplace that encourages free time, (laughs) enjoyment and play. Maybe other employees were gossiping and talking about how this person was on Instagram, even though they called in sick. And so then next time somebody wants to take a day off, there's more talk around how they're not committed or they're not showing up or they don't take work seriously or they don't have the same values as everybody. And then resentment starts to build. And then people aren't taking time off. They're getting more sick. They're coming into work sick. They're getting other people sick, so on and so forth. And I know I personally was the person that used to brag about working all day, every day. I would come in sick because I didn't feel like I had the agency to not come in sick, whether that was who else would do the goddamn work or what would other people think, or I want everybody to know I'm a hero and a martyr at the same time. So all I've just listed off a ton of different imprints, these assumptions around work, around performance, around commitment, and also the effects, the causalities, the reinforcements of these particular imprints, which, you know, the work piles up or your employees resent you or your employees resent each other or there's gossiping or there's lying. So each one of these would be what the author refers to as a correlation. So we're realizing pretty unpleasant experiences in our moment to moment, our day to day. And rather than going, okay, well, how did we get here? We go, well, I'm going to perceive this in a certain way that's going to cast a judgment and simply reinforce the imprint and the potential that I've already created. So nothing's going to change. So from the author's perspective, what you want to do is work back from this desired result. Well, I want employees that feel safe talking to me, that feel safe taking the time they need to take care of themselves. I want a really strong, really reliable, really committed, really integrous, really honest workforce. And obviously I've got metrics and and results that I'm aiming for. And I want people to feel good about that. I want to define commitment as people being excited about their work. I want to define commitment as people being excited about their own well-being and saying, feeling comfortable enough with me in our workplace to say, I'm not going to be able to perform at my best today. So I'm going to take some time so that when I do show up, I am at my best. How do we get there? That's a lot what these correlations are talking about. And so again, I'm not going to go through all 46. And I went through what I found were some of the more fascinating ones, not just because of how prevalent they are in business, but because of the, the unexpected ways that this can show up. So as an example, cash flow, every business struggles with cash flow. And the first response to cash flow is cut back in expenses, but not dissimilar to the example that I just went through. So what happens when we stop, when we cut back on expenses? Maybe we cut back on bonuses. Maybe we cut back on healthcare plans. So then people stop working late. I I mean, I was talking about that with a client this morning who was saying they've moved into a have to instead of a want to space in terms of their own work. And this is their own business, but they know they're going to be working for a little less money and that they're not going to pay themselves out a bonus at the end of the year because they didn't hit their financial targets. It doesn't feel rewarding any longer. They're now losing passion in what they're doing. How do you think that's going to affect what they do? Like, how is that going to affect their ability to increase cash flow? And since they're cutting back on healthcare plans, now they're not going to this, you know, they're not taking care of themselves. Maybe there's no more gym memberships or massage or acupuncture or mental health support. 
And although that felt like a, a real additive and something unnecessary, it's now affecting performance and commitment and passionate work. And we've moved into a real defense state. And if you've worked with me, you know that's level two. Rather than a creative, win-win-win, solution-oriented, we're now focusing on problems and scarcity and fear. That is a very natural reaction and a very obvious reaction to cash flow issues, cut spending. This is where integrity, this is where evaluation, this is where honesty, this is where asking what's the desired result and how do I create the cause and effect to get there? It gives you this incredible opportunity to strip back all of the judgment in the current experience and discover the hidden potential. So here it is. In Tibetan, the word is korwa, which is the self-perpetuating circle of trouble. So when we think about cash flow and cutting back and moving into this full defense mode, how are we going to tap into hidden potential? How are we going to tap into creativity, to new solutions, to innovation from a place where all we're doing is cutting back and scaling back and moving into fear. So this isn't about thinking in terms of right or wrong. It's simply about the details of a process that determines the reality around you. It's not how you feel about your cash flow. It's how you feel about being able to impact your cash flow. So circling back, like, do you believe this will work? That's where success starts. That's where wealth starts is the belief I am successful. I am wealthy. If you choose to believe I am wealthy, then cash flow is just this temporary setback and you believe in your wealth and your success. And therefore, it's simply a matter of choosing a different thought, feeling, and action. Another example from the book, a diamond is inherently worthless. It's just a fucking rock. It is incredibly hard. And so there was a perceived utility way back when to the point where governments were stockpiling diamonds because it was perceived, I mean, it, it was at the time the high, hardest known substance on earth that it created very, very useful tools. And so then in this, a demand was created because supply was being hoarded. And there, then we started to really understand a, a perfect diamond. And at some point, the Russians actually learned how to manufacture a perfect diamond. So then suddenly, the seemingly rare resource was able to be manufactured. And we started, you know, in order to continue the value of a diamond, it then became the symbol for wealth and success and power and agency. And therefore, the symbol for prestige an influence. And then it translated into jewelry and a very visible symbol of commitment, of, again, prestige, of agency, of privilege. And so the perception of value is just simply based on what we think it is. And he reinforces this example that, you know, there's tons of people selling diamonds. They're all just selling rocks. But why is a diamond at JCPenney worth more or less than a diamond, you know, in a Rolex? It's, it's perception. A, a, a carrot defines the value of a diamond. And it's truly the buyer who proves that value by paying for it. So that potential is there based on your perception. <laughs> and for someone like myself, like, I don't give a shit about a diamond. It's valueless for me. I don't remember the last time I bought food with a diamond. I don't remember the last time I was able to buy a property with a diamond. I don't remember the last time I was able to pay an employee with a diamond. It, it has no inherent value for me. 
But for someone who thinks that it's incredibly valuable and it's important that others perceive them as wealthy or successful, and a diamond is a symbol of that, it's going to mean something completely different. And don't even get me started on crypto because this is 1000% a cryptocurrency conversation. So I think we've kind of like exhausted the concept of potential and imprint. Potential is the perception of something. An imprint is the repetition of that thought, feeling, action, word that reinforces your potential. So when we can strip back to those two concepts, that's where we have the ability to create change. As we go, what's the inherent assumption I'm making about the potential here? And then what is the thought or feeling or action or word that's reinforcing that? So where do I change? just to hammer this one fucking in. So for me, when I look at the correlations that I'm working on the most, and like I said, we'll get into kind of like a daily approach for this, but something I find myself saying over and over and over again is I feel like no one hears me. And in the middle of this development deal, in the middle of my financial consulting firm, and like, I feel like I am repeating myself over and over and over again, and I'm not being heard. And the problems are getting worse. And then people are looking to me and saying, well, why is this happening? It's your fault. (laughs) It's just like, oh my God. So I'm clearly reinforcing a pattern. I'm clearly passing judgment. I'm defining things as problems. That is an inherent judgment. This is a situation. It simply is. Okay, so where do I want to be? And then how do I reverse engineer into this moment to create that future reality? And in the correlation and I think I shared about this on the last episode, is what words and talk am I doing that is completely unnecessary? Where am I gossiping? Where am I out of integrity? Where am I telling little white lies? Where am I using truth in a manner that is manipulative rather than helpful? And I can actually think of a lot of instances with that. You know, right now I'm at my mom's house trying to take care of my mom. And I have presented everything that I need to say. And ultimately, it's not all my decision. And so rather than just repeating myself over and over again or talking to my friends or my, my partner about, you know, how hard this is or how, you know, all the things I think might happen that haven't happened yet, like that, that's, that's being out of integrity in this process. I am in the middle of this development project. It's not going the way that I want. I'm still in the middle of the financial consulting firm negotiations. It's not going the way that I want. Where am I holding back or saying too much and essentially gossiping or manipulating the situation? Now, sure. And like, I could absolutely describe it as problem solving and planning and risk mitigation and all of these noble causes. But the reality is I am creating drama and gossip. And that is reinforcing a negative imprint that is creating this experience that I've not heard. And if you've been hanging out with me at all in the last couple months, you will know because I'm saying out loud, I'm holding myself to a very high standard in terms of honesty and discrepancy right now. And so I, I have to stop myself in this conversation because I think I'm, I'm moving into a place of gossip or this doesn't feel like necessary information to be exchanged or this isn't my story to tell. And I'm saying that I'm catching myself regularly. That's part of the, the kind of daily practice that we'll get into. 
where I'm, I'm engaging in unnecessary talk. And that is correlating to my experience that my talk, my words aren't being heard. We'll circle back to that. So this I also talked about in the last episode, but I think it's worth repeating in terms of correlations and like big picture thinking. So giving brings wealth because when you see yourself do well, and we're kind of defining success here as, as being wealthy, and you're able to prosper financially, you can be generous. But first, you have to be generous to see yourself doing well. Like it's your ability to be generous that proves your success. Ethics create a good world. When you see the world as good, you can be good. You can be ethical and integrous. Patience brings beauty. By seeing the health and happiness in yourself in the world, the definition of beauty, then we can be happy. There's no need to be anger. When we can see, just as an example, you know, the the root canal is is a positive thing. That cre- it, it keeps me healthy, which keeps me happy, that I can be happy about it. And so often we want the beauty or we want the good world or we want the wealth, but we forget how it starts in this moment, in this point of inception. Giving brings wealth. Ethics create the good world. Patience brings beauty as defined by health and happiness. Effort creates eminence. We see the results by being committed and and joyful in our constructive action. So by taking the action in this moment happily, joyfully, we will get the results that we want. So it's it's it can I think feel paradoxical because it, like it's like that idea of start with the end in mind, feel it first, then take the action. Concentration brings peace. By seeing peace, by choosing in this moment peace, then we can be consistent in our focus. Wisdom creates freedom. By seeing and experiencing the freedom we desire, that's actually how we can commit to this process of being wise of, of and by definition in this book, the wisdom is committed to the hidden potential and these imprints. When we can be compassionate, we will achieve everything we've ever wished for. Because by being compassionate first to ourselves and then to others, we are in this constant state of me, you, us, them, like there is no division. It's we're all one. And so if I'm acting in the best interests for myself, I have to be acting in the best interests for you. If I'm treating myself with compassion, I am therefore treating you with compassion because we are one. And so by treating you with compassion, I am treating myself with compassion. And it's absolutely these self-fulfilling prophecies. So as an example, if you have unstable profits, share profits with those who helped you produce them. If your capital investments or you feel like your equipment keeps being outmoded and outdated, stop envying others and focus on being inventive in your own experience. It all starts within. You fix your life and you fix the world by fixing yourself. Listen to my Relatables interview with Lou Manis from Pranasanti. The way that she built her business, firstly, wasn't about thinking of it in terms of business at all. It was exactly this. It was, how can I be a better human? And you know, by choosing to actually make that my work, I will create success. And, I ha- and when there isn't quote unquote work or clients or money, then I simply just focus on my success. So this daily process that I've kind of referred to, there's sort of six steps to it ish. (laughs) So step one, know that the cause comes before the result. And so what we're experiencing right now is a result. The cause happened way before. So if we want different results, we need to focus on the cause in this moment. Causes are smaller than their results. 
kind of step two. So it's not like making these like huge grandiose commitments. It's just simply noticing the imprint, the assumption, the understanding, and then the hidden potential, the, the, the minutia of thought, feeling, action, words available right now. This will take time. Imprints are being created over time. Like we said, the 65 per, per snap. So the only way people are unsuccessful in this is firstly that they're not committed. They're not consistent. They think they're doing this, but they're, they're not. And <laughs> what this author suggests, which I think is interesting because I've heard a lot of people say otherwise, but like a few notable intentions, like if you're, you know, starting your day or writing like three things you're grateful for at the end of the day, this author would argue those thoughts, feelings, words, actions are insignificant if they're surrounded by an entire day of whining and complaining and battling your way through the world. So the fourth step is a tracking system. And so every two hours, just kind of going back through what, where your tension's been what your thoughts have been, what your feelings have been, and be really specific. Well, at 10 o'clock this morning, I had a meltdown and called one of my investors and told them that I thought they were doing a shitty job and that I was out. I felt angry and frustrated and I felt like they were disappointing me. Okay. Well, if I've been feeling like that with the last six months with this investor, am I creating a self-fulfilling prophecy by continuing to feel like that and work with that? So how do I want to feel? If in a week I want the answers that I've been asking for for six months, how will that feel? Good, certain, respectful, desired. Okay. So how can I take that into this moment? and act out of respect and compassion and wisdom and desire. The author goes a one step further in terms of this tracking system, but just know like when were you feeling positive or when did you act out of positivity? When did your when did your thoughts lead to positivity, etc. and like notice where you get a, a minus sign. It was a negative experience, a negative situation, a negative thought feeling word. And at any time a negative happens, create a to-do list. One or two things you can do to create a positive imprint so that you are actually shifting. And, and you know every negative imprint is met with two positive imprints. I thought this was interesting. They said, there's no word in Tibet for guilty. The closest thing is intelligent regret that decides to do things differently. So this isn't about judging where you've experienced something negatively. It's noticing what you want to change. Because when you change, your reality changes. So by understanding what you're doing, it makes this process infinitely stronger. And by being integral, by being very honest and very truthful, and you do this by reviewing your tracking once a day, once a week, and going back through with an honest assessment of, wow, I got this many positives and this many negatives. Okay. No wonder my experience overall feels kind of negative right now. I have the, the negatives far outweigh the positives. And again, not from a place of judgment, just a, a place of pure objectivity. I had 56 negatives and 22 positives today. <laughs> Why would I expect my day to be uh, anything other than negative? So the hidden potential is let's clear this slate. Let's think of uh, 150 positives to counteract these negatives and really sit with that. So in terms of your day-to-day, -day, we've got this review process in place, which is more about understanding causes come before results. Causes are smaller than their results. This is going to take time and we need a tracking system. By understanding the cause and then by reviewing regularly, we will create success in this process. So the patterns that I noticed just in terms of this book 
and, and all of these tips. It's like, this is an inside job and it's all about balance. So anytime you're externalizing, it's their fault. It's the government. It's my team. It's my past. It's my fucking ancestral trauma. Like this process is going to become infinitely more challenging. It all starts within what is the hidden potential? What happens if you clear the slate of your judgment, assumptions, understandings? And then what are the thoughts, feelings, actions, words that need to change? Be honest, own it so that you can control you and it and develop a new imprint now. By zooming out and by looking at the big picture, like we can get lost, you know, if we're just continually thinking about every two hours, that's one perspective. But when we look at it over the course of a week and you'll you'll start to see as you track this, like you are shifting. So although a day may have had 56 negatives and 22 positives in a month, it's flipped and you had 22 negatives and 56 positives, and your experience has flipped as well. In terms of the day-to-day, what the author suggests is always start with silent time. And this is kind of where you do the zoom out. What's the big picture? Why are we showing up today? What are the the minutiae in terms of challenges? But like when you scale it back and you go, okay, well, where do I want to be at the end of the year, or at the, in 10 years, or when I die? He was saying that in Tibet, it's funny, I have the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and I haven't read it. I've had it for a few years now. But they do something called a death meditation. And it's simply based on if I died today, what would I be happy about? And what would I have not, what would I, what would I essentially wish had not happened? And by engaging in this meditation every day, you will start to filter your life for more meaningful and more rewarding thoughts, feelings, words, actions. Because why would you have anything around if at the time of your death, you weren't thrilled that it was there. So by starting with silent time and in terms of whatever kind of meditation or contemplation, you're going to set yourself up for impact in this experience, in this in this way of changing your, your entire world. This will also give you the space to choose thoughts that feel good to create healthier actions. Like what's the point in getting upset? If, if what's happening right now is a result of millions of different imprints. There's no one thing to blame. There's no one fault. There's no shoulda, woulda, coulda. There's no you know naming and shaming. It is right now. We clear the state. We find the head of potential and we choose a different imprint to test. And we track it. Finally, by giving yourself free time and the, the Tibetan word, and forgive me if you're listening to this and you're like, you don't speak Tibetan because you were absolutely right. (laughs) But the Tibetan word for this is Sam, which means the border or the dividing line. And Michael was talking about how one thing to really set this practice into not just motion, but like to like create something that feels real and permanent and effective, take take time. And so what Sam means is a circle around self and work. So in this silence, you create a space. In this practice disrupt your typical routine that is literally how you will get out of a rut and when we've been thinking the same thing feeling the same thing saying the same thing doing the same thing over and over and over and over again and creating these imprints it is challenging to change them it takes focus it takes consistency it takes wisdom it takes compassion it takes health it takes you know all of these things that we It's like we want the thing, but it's the end result of doing the thing that we're not doing. So then how do we get the thing that we want? You know, the wealth or the good world or the beauty or the eminence, the guarantee of success, like all of that starts right now. And by giving yourself some space, and this is not also the first time I've heard this suggested, but take a day out, 
take a morning out and be ruthless about it. Carve it out on your calendar and there are no negotiations. And start by getting quiet. Then bring in some movement, whether that's a full-on exercise or just jumping around your house. And then choose consistent variety. (laughs) Learn something new. Listen to something new. Go somewhere new. Work from a different location. But don't just do your work. Work on this process. Really, really review everything that's been happening. Go out into the sunlight, whatever it might be, but create this space to solidify this practice. I don't know how many times I can say like the fastest way to change your world is to change your perspective. And and this is just kind of a different worldview on how to do that. And so I said I would start with a quote and end with a quote. This is, this is, I think, the perfect kind of way to sum this up. And I think I've been talking for a really long time now. Yeah, we're at over an hour. So to conclude with a direct quote from the Diamond Cutter, if it is true that during this entire day, I have been mindful of all which I said to others and did to others and even of my thoughts towards others and acted thus throughout the day with complete honesty toward each person I came in contact with, then may a new power be born. And by force of this new power, may I and all those in my world achieve through our work, true happiness and prosperity together. That's actually a prayer that Tibetans say in reviewing these imprints and these potentials so that they're not just going through the motions. They're not just doing their best. They're not just applying consistent effort, but they're also recognizing this as a process. And through prayer, through contemplation, through repetition, they're creating new imprints. Each one of those words is an imprint. And so when the Tibetans perform an act of truth like this, of this prayer, They also imagine it coming out of their heart. So not only are they expressing this purpose and this gratitude, this desire, this eminence, this wisdom, this compassion, but they feel it. And the author says they feel it coming out of their hearts like strong rays of golden light as if the sun were in their chests. They picture the light going out to all of those around them and to every person in their community and their experience and their lives and the world and to every person waiting at home for them, for the people going home, for any, anyone waiting. They feel this love, this compassion, this gratitude, this desire to have been honest and compassionate to allow everyone to experience true happiness and prosperity together. And they send that out. I don't know if you're familiar with the meta meditation. I don't know, even remember where I first came up with that, but you can just Google it. Maybe Shannon, you can even throw it in the show notes. <laughs> but it's just this. It's a compassion meditation where you you bless yourself and you honor and feel into the health and the happiness and the prosperity and the abundance and the joy and the bliss available to each of us in any given moment. And then you offer that out to the most immediate people in your experience. And then you move in concentric rings. I'd be curious to hear how that feels for you. And this was a big one. This was heavy. This was a lot. (laughs) This This is big shit. And really owning it, like really saying, you know, my experience is my own. And the way that I am thinking and feeling and engaging is it is going to lead to my next experience. I think I've talked a lot about this as well, but this this moment is like we're time traveling and my future self is remembering me in this moment and going, wow, like she really set me off up for success here. And in this present moment, I'm looking at my past self and going, okay, bitch. 
much. <laughs> like, there's a few things we should probably have done differently. And it's in this moment that my present self gets to choose that different thing so that my future self gets to be really fucking grateful. I'll let that one sit in as well. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing this passion for learning and for expansion. Thank you for being committed to growth. I mean, it's together that we're going to create this world that we want to live in, this, re- this co-creative reality where the world is good and we are wise and our success is eminent and we get beauty and health and abundance and success where we are free and at peace. I mean, I am, I, this book has really, really reminded me of everything that is available to me in this moment in order to to be even more impactful and effective. And I'm, I'm going to be really tracking. I've actually already put into my calendar every two hours to, to review kind of where my thoughts, feelings, actions, and words have led me. And to do just this, track positive, track negative. If this is something like, I don't know, you'd be interested in like doing together, please email me hello at NicoleBZ.com. I think it's so easy to listen to podcasts passively. And I mean, far out if you're still with me. <laughs> it's been, I've been talking at your ear hole for a long time. But the whole reason I do this is for you. And I would love to know if this is something you'd want to work on together, if we could create a little diamond cutter support group (laughs) where we're checking in and reviewing and thinking about different ways of creating positive imprints and really looking at the, the hidden potential and all things. So if there's anything else you want to talk about, you know where to find me at the BZ channel on most platforms. Hello at Nicole BZ for any feedback and don't forget to share or review this if it's been helpful or resourceful for you. I love you. Thank you so much for being here. Bye.